Philippians in chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision, who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us now, we pray. Bless us by your Spirit that we may know these things, not just hear them, not just tick them off, not just recognize the accuracy or truth of what your word holds, but that we might feel its force, know the wonder of the things in which Paul rejoiced, see the emptiness of that which is not true Christianity, and learn by this to walk in your ways. Lord Christ, hear us, we plead, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How do you know that someone is a Christian? Perhaps most importantly, how do you know that you are a Christian? If you ask more generally, you will typically get a, a wide number of interesting and often false answers. One of the classic ones is, are you a Christian? Oh yes, I go to church. Perhaps you've heard someone who gives you that, I go to church. And sometimes they mean twice, every year. I saw an article this week, it was describing the aftermath of a, a particularly unpleasant crime. And it was, there was an ugly tone of almost delight in the fact that the people who had committed this series of crimes and the whole thing was a, a moral mess. It's the, the kind, I don't think I even got to the end of it. I just thought, you yeah, know, enough's enough. But it's like, these people, they're churchgoers. Now imagine it, Christians behaving like this. And if you are a Christian, everything in, in you wants to say, but they're clearly not. Believers do not consistently and persistently behave in the way that these people are behaving. And yet because they are churchgoers, therefore they're bundled in with Christianity. Perhaps it's just morality. I'm a good person. 
I do the right kinds of things. Somebody might say on the one hand, well, I don't need to be a Christian to do those. Or, or they're kind of defending them. I, I know as much as you do. I'm fine with God. I'm all right because I'm a good person. I want you, especially this morning, to consider your own soul in the light of this question. How can any one of us be confident that we are true believers? How can you know that you have a heaven to come? How can you be sure that your sins are forgiven you? It's vital that you answer that question and it's vital that you do so with the right answers and not the ones that that human reason and fallen human understanding would provide. Because we live in a world where there are so many false and flawed suggestions. And it's the same world that the Apostle Paul lived in. My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, strong language for a Jew, the unclean animals. Beware of evil workers, those who deliberately try and concoct something that is foul. Beware of the mutilation, those who cut themselves. Paul is aware of this and he he warns us against it. It's a dangerous thing. To use the wrong basis to draw the wrong conclusion. And so Paul is urgent and he is emphatic. He says, be vigilant, be careful, be watchful against the kind of teaching and suggestion that would leave you building on a foundation which is no foundation at all. The sand rather than the rock. These evil workers are active to twist and to confuse But we, verse 3, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. Now, Paul is using this language in a very particular sense. Bear in mind that he's dealing in, in Philippians primarily with Jewish people who are trying to impose the external forms of Jewish religion on these believers. And he talks about them as the mutilation, those who cut themselves physically. But he says, we are the circumcision. And you can almost add the word, we are the true circumcision. He's referring back to what Jeremiah spoke about when he talked about the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah 31, 31, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which I broke, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This then is a covenant with an inward reality. It is something that is inscribed upon the heart. And so you find similar language in Romans and chapter 2. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. This true relationship to God does not consist in a mark made in the flesh. Circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. 
the circumcision of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God and that's exactly what you hear then echoed in Colossians and chapter 2 in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ and that heart circumcision in Colossians 2 is demonstrated then by being immersed in water, baptism, the outward testimony of the inward reality. Circumcision isn't baptism and baptism isn't circumcision. Circumcised in heart, we are then baptised in water as the outward testimony to the inward reality. This then is what Paul is talking about when he says we are the circumcision. We are the men and women who know what it is to have our hearts made new. We are the ones who bear in our souls that spiritual cutting by which we have left behind the old and are marked out as the true people of God. We are the seed of Jesus Christ, that spiritual family who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Ah, this is how I know. This is how I can determine whether or not I am a Christian, whether or not I belong to the circumcision, the Israel of God, the new covenant people of Jesus Christ. Not that this is an exhaustive list, but in some respects it cuts to the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's valuable for us because even though we may not have precisely the same pressures that the Philippians did, and even though we may not need to, to strike back using precisely the same language that Paul did, our age is as much subject to the temptations and obsessions with merely external things as first century Philippi. That's the parallel that we need to make. These external observances, nothing that really reaches the heart as opposed to true life in Christ Jesus. And that's how you know whether or not you belong to the circumcision. Do you worship God in the spirit? Do you rejoice in Christ Jesus? Do you have no confidence in the flesh? So hold yourself up this morning to the mirror of God's word. Do you know true worship? Do you know true joy? Do you know true confidence? Now bear in mind that if you do not, this is why you must come to Christ, that you may have new life. And this is not intended to leave everybody going out of this room going, I'm probably not a Christian. My friends, if you know true joy, if you have this true worship, if you have grasped this true confidence, you are a believer. This is meant to enable you to say, this is me. I know him and he knows me. So whatever state you may be in, if this is exposing false ideas, this is the day to understand that you may have been fooling yourself and you need now to trust in Jesus. If this is true of you, this is the day to rejoice because God has worked in you these things. What then are the marks of the circumcision? 
First of all, true worship. They worship God in the spirit. Now, you might argue that there are lots of people who worship God. That is, that they do many things that have reference to God. The Jews would have been able to say that. They, they, they boasted in the fact that they were the nation under the old covenant who knew God and nobody else did. They made that a great point of distinction. We are the true sons of Abraham. We are the true worshippers of God. But Paul emphasizes not just the fact that there is a true God to whom they bow, but that the worship of God is carried out in the spirit. The Jews gave themselves to the Old Testament rituals and the carnal ordinances. And we we read about them to some extent here and elsewhere, for example, in the letter to the Galatians. That the food and the drink, the washings and the the, the observance of days and the, uh, the, the sacrifices and the temple and the priests and all those kinds of things. And while we may not embrace those... We are in as much danger today of resting on mere externals. I go to church. I dress up for church. Perhaps I read from the right Bible version. I sing from the right hymn book. I know how to behave. I know what we should be saying and what we should be doing. No one can find any outward fault with me. I've learned to live a life that outwardly at least appears as if everything is in its proper place. My friends, you and I can be just as guilty of a dry and legalistic spirit in our worship as the Jews of the Old Testament. Maybe not precisely the same forms, but resting on the forms themselves. All the shell and none of the life. All the performance and none of the reality. And that's why Paul emphasises not just the external modes of worship, but the worship of God in the spirit. Now, Paul, remember, is concerned for how we worship. His letters are full of instruction and encouragement about what and when and how we pray. Examples of it, the singing, the preaching of the word, the exhortations. He writes letters to Timothy and Titus so that they might know how they should conduct themselves in the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. We're not saying Paul says, I don't worry about how you worship. Paul says, however you worship, If it's God's worship, it needs to be in the Holy Spirit. And that means aided and energised by the Holy Ghost. My friends, it means bowing before God with a heart that is conditioned by the saving and sanctifying work of the third person of the Godhead. It means worshipping with liberty and with light. It is the cry, Abba, Father, that comes from a heart that has been enlivened and encouraged by the Spirit of God. It is the confidence and the clarity that comes in the new covenant. You could ask people, perhaps over the course of the holidays, you you visited some great cathedral. You went around perhaps some of these beautiful old country churches. And you went in and perhaps you were impressed by the externals. It's very easy, isn't it? Look at that stained glass. The window's as big as the footprint of this building. It's impressive, especially when the light shines through it. 
Oh, and the gloom, the holy darkness. And here in this corner, here's, here's the lady chapel. And here are the candles that we have lit. And here are the kneelers upon which we put our knees. And here is this and here is that and we can do this. And here's the great pulpit and here's the rainbow flag. And here's the sparkling globe and here's the, the honour of creation. You say there's nothing here. Outwardly impressive. My friends, there are thousands upon thousands of people who today will be worshipping God without the Spirit, which is no true worship at all. And none of us must imagine that just because we're not in a building like that, dressed as they might dress, with all the bells and the whistles and the, the smells and the gloom and the candles and the collects, that we are immune to the danger of sitting here this morning, going through the motions and saying... I must be a Christian. I mean, I'm here. I'm here in a, a well-ordered congregation. I'm here. We've read so much of the Bible. We've, we've sung these rich, orthodox hymns of the faith. I mean, I come here week after week. I come here twice, every Sunday, not just Christmas and Easter. I know how to dress. I know how to speak. I can play this game. My friends, the circumcision of the men and the women who worship God in the Spirit. They've had their eyes opened. They see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. They've had the veil pulled back. They know God and can speak with him. And from broken and contrite hearts that are full of faith, not boasting in what they do and are, not resting on the externals, reasonably, affectionately, willingly, they offer themselves to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. The first mark of the circumcision is true worship, the worship of God in the Spirit, that we know him in Christ, and that we bow to him not just outwardly, but inwardly. Worshipping in spirit and truth. John 4, 24. And alongside of that true worship, there is true joy. Rejoicing in Christ Jesus. And this rejoicing now is the language of boasting. And there is good boasting. Most boasting is bad. But you can boast in Christ and him crucified. You can glory in Christ and him crucified. You can exult in Christ and him crucified. It's the, the language, what or who are you trusting in? Him, all him, entirely him. Praise God, it's him and it's not me. This is the true joy that characterises a truly heart-circumcised person. It's a declaration of delight and satisfaction in Christ Jesus and the words that I'm trying to use are feeble in comparison with the sense of this. It's the pointing up and out to Christ and saying, he's my confidence, he is my expectation. The circumcised in heart boast in Christ. They glory in Jesus. They rejoice in the Lamb and in their relationship to him. That's our pleasure. That's our satisfaction. We don't boast in ourselves. You see how this ties in. Ah, oh, see what a worshipper I am. No, see what a saviour I have. Amen. 
It's not what I've done. It's what he has done. He is my confidence. He is my joy. He is my hope. He is my delight. I don't boast in the servants. I have no confidence in the fact that because I went to this conference and heard this big preacher that somehow I'm assured of a place in heaven. I don't have confidence in the fact that though by God's grace we may have faithful ministry in this place that I happen to sit under this kind of preaching. My friends, faithful preaching will damn you if you do not heed the Christ who's held forth. Faithful preaching is in one sense an awful thing. A-W-E full. Because by it the world is divided. By it a Christ is held up that you either receive or reject. We don't trust in Moses. That's what the Jews would have done. They don't boast in Abraham that we have him for our father. Our joy is in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And you can glory in your birth. The place you were born. The country you were born. The family into which you were born. And you can glory in that for your acceptance with God. And it will leave you on your way to hell. You can glory, if not in your Jewish heritage and religion. Than in any other empty form. You can glory in your own efforts. You can effectively build your own temple. You can concoct your own system of sacrifice. These are the things which bring me to God. And these are the things which keep me near God. That's the very essence of legalism. That because of who I am and because of what I have done. You've heard me speak before about the, the man of God who close to his death was asked what was his confidence. And he said, I've taken all my good deeds, I've taken all my bad deeds, I've taken them all together, I've thrown them aside and I'm running to Jesus Christ to save me. That's a man who's boasting in Christ, whose joy is in Jesus of Nazareth. There is nothing of self in the boasting of the heart circumcised. They have learned from the good news as it is in Jesus that he is all in all to us. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 31. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. How much self-commendation there can be in our hearts. How quickly we start to build our confidence upon ourselves the heart circumcised man or woman is constantly tearing down self not my experience not my repentings not my tears not the depths or the heights of the path that I have travelled that's not my trust Jesus and Jesus only is my boast his name is the joyful happiness of the truly circumcised in heart. Now can you say that? Jesus is my joy. Remember, not just words. Uh, if I were a certain kind of preacher, I'd just have you all say that after me and then tick you all off. No, we're fine. No, I mean, my friends, can you say from your soul, 
that Christ and Christ only, Christ and him crucified, is the confidence of my soul before God, and in him I will boast. To exalt Christ is to deflate yourself. It is to confess that you are a guilty, wretched, needy sinner. This can become twisted and ugly, a a sort of a, a hopelessness, a perpetual despair. But there's a proper self-despair, a sense of our own emptiness that makes us to rejoice all the more in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Who are the people who love him? Those who've been forgiven much. Who needs to be forgiven much? I do. If you've got any sense of yourself, you do. The the, the problem there is not that there are some people who are particularly sinful. No, the problem is that we don't realise just how sinful we are. Even those of you who've been brought up in well-ordered homes under the sound of the gospel. Don't look so much to what may have been the outward expressions of your life up to this point. Consider the heart that is within you, desperately wicked. Maybe think less of what you do and more of what you'd want to do. And that will teach you the need of your heart for a saviour like Jesus Christ. What is your disposition toward Jesus? Do you worship God in the spirit? Whether you're here in the church building or opening your Bible at home, singing hymns as you go about your business, praying to the Lord, whatever times of day you set aside or have opportunity to do so, is your worship toward God in the spirit? Is it enlivened? Is it directed? Is it influenced by that new life that is in him? Do you see Christ as he set forth in the scriptures? And do you enjoy access with boldness to God through Christ by the spirit according to the new and living way which he's opened up for us by his body, which is his flesh? Do you rejoice in Christ Jesus? When sin afflicts you, when temptation assaults you, When guilt batters at you, can you point to Christ and say, there is my confidence. For we are not, the third mark ties in with this second, we are not those who have confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. This is the counterpart to what we've just looked at. This is joy that is rooted in trust. Trust not in the flesh. Now again, what does the Apostle Paul mean when he uses this flesh language? You'll find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh... I will also boast, for you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. What was happening in Corinth when Paul wrote that? There were people who thought they were something. The so-called super apostles. The special guys. These were men who would have designed their own posters. Today they would have just used Facebook to tell everybody how brilliant, wise and insightful they are. And Paul says there are enough idiots out there who actually believe the people who tell that about themselves. He says, you want to play that game? Let's play that game. I will boast in the flesh. And what does he produce? 
A list of the things about himself, who he is and what he's done. Even to the Now, he begins to subvert it very quickly. He twists it, doesn't he? I've suffered more than they do. Oh, servants of God, they don't suffer. Yes, they do, says the Apostle Paul. And he runs through it. Five times I received from the Jews 40 stripes minus one. Three times beaten with rods. Paul says, if this is boasting in the flesh, what's he talking about? The things that have happened to me. Same kind of language in Galatians chapter 6, verse 13 and following. Even those who are circumcised, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul says that they can't do it for themselves. These mutilators, they snip at themselves, but they can't keep the law. And then they want to snip you too and also say, ah, see, now you're one of us. Paul says that's all external. It's just marks in the flesh. It's only what is outward. And here then in Galatia, in Philippians, rather, chapter 3, in verse 9, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, from this outward obedience, from ticking all the boxes, but the righteousness which is through faith in Christ, from God by faith. What's the emphasis? That the circumcised in heart are not relying on their external privileges and carnal performances. How can we be if we're boasting in Jesus Christ? You cannot boast in Christ and rest in the flesh. You cannot glorify the Lord Jesus and then say of yourself, but I've somehow topped it up. Look at who I am and what I've done. These are the added extras that Jesus couldn't supply for me. Oh, my human initiative, my human endeavour, my human concoctions, my human efforts, they do not bring me any favour with God. I have no confidence in the flesh. You see, these are exclusive, are they not? I rejoice in what? In Christ and Christ alone. I have confidence not at all in the flesh. There's no mixing and matching. There's no building and blending. To rejoice in Christ is to abandon all hope and confidence in myself. And that's how we know that we belong to him. To renounce all our human effort and endeavour. And to rest upon and so rejoice in Jesus Christ alone. And that is salvation. And that is the mark of a heart that is under the influence of the Spirit of God. That is the evidence of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who is the true circumcision. The only alternative is to abandon the gospel. It is not good news that Christ has done something and you must add to it. It is not good news that maybe, just maybe, you can get to God if you're good enough for yourself. It's not good news that there are a thousand ways to God. It's not good news that as long as you're sincere and try hard, that you'll somehow attain God's favour. It's not good news that if you come to church often enough, learn the rules carefully enough, sing the hymns loudly enough, pray the prayers uh, with a, 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 a proper prescription, learn to live a life that at least on the surface looks like it's picked up a bit of religious polish. 
that then God will somehow say, yeah, you've cleared the bar. My friends, if you are putting any confidence in the flesh, you are damning your own soul. Because that's like to bore a hole in the ark and still expect it to keep the storm waters out. It's when God shut up the door and sealed it behind those whom he intended to save that they were secure from the floods of his wrath that were falling upon the earth, breaking up from under the deeps. And it is when God seals us up into Christ. You try and bring anything in there with you that God has not ordained and you'll bring that which will sink you when the flood comes. If you were drowning, which of you would cry out for a nice new set of lead boots? And yet how many drowning sinners cry out for that which essentially drags them down for every effort upon which you rely that is out of Christ is you saying, I don't need him and he's not enough. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, have seen and known what it is to come to God by Christ and to delight in him with light and life. We are the circumcision who rejoice in Christ Jesus. He is our boast. He is our satisfaction. He is our delight. We are the circumcision who have no confidence in the flesh. Now what does that mean? That if you so worship, if you so rejoice, and you so trust that you are the circumcision of God. Why have we spent so much time this morning exposing what these things are not and emphasising what these things are? It is so that if these things are true of you, you are able to say today, then I am his and he is mine. Now, you might say, but I'm not sure I do any of these things well enough. What would Paul answer? Yeah, let's start again. We are the circumcision (laughs) who worship God in the spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. But have I done it enough? Let me start again. We are the circumcision. Do you understand what I'm saying? That your complaint that you haven't done these things well enough is to put your trust in the flesh and to stop rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Don't get yourself locked in a circular argument here. Christ is the saviour. Jesus delivers us from sin and death and hell. And if you've learned to worship God in the spirit and if you're rejoicing in him, And if you have no confidence in the flesh, it's not that your life doesn't matter, but it is that your confidence does not rest upon your life, but upon his. Not upon your sacrifices, but upon his. Not upon your unfinishable efforts and endeavours, but upon his completed work. My friends, flee. Flee dogs. Beware of evil workers. 
Watch out for the mutilation. Watch out for the instinct of your own heart. Watch out for the flawed and false and foolish teaching that so often swirls around us, even around the margins of true Christianity. Our confidence is not in ourselves. And if it is, then we are not of the circumcision. Worshipping in the spirit isn't getting in drums and trumpets. Worshipping in the spirit isn't turning cartwheels, raising hands or speaking in tongues. Rejoicing in Christ Jesus isn't singing louder than we did at the beginning. Putting no confidence in the flesh isn't smuggling a little bit of effort into our relationship with God. It is to trust in Christ and Christ only. It is to glory in Christ and Christ only. It is to put away everything but Christ Jesus. There's a sense in which you will keep doing those things, isn't there? That when you see that sneaking, smuggling self-righteousness coming back in, that you resist it. No, no, that will bring me down. Why are so many of us so often grieved and distressed and unsure and uncertain? It's not because Christ is not enough, it's because we've stopped looking at him enough. (laughs) We think we're not good enough. We've forgotten that his is all the goodness that we need. We begin to fear that our righteousness is not sufficient. Newsflash, never was, never will be. His fixed, pure, perfect righteousness is all I will ever need and everything upon which I rely. And out of that new relationship with God in Christ, I am able to worship with a mind enlivened and enlightened by the Spirit of Christ, knowing him, bowing before him from the very depths of my soul, delighting in him, honouring him, exalting him. This is the circumcision. This is a true Christian. This is life everlasting. Paul is a model of it. I might have confidence in the flesh. It's a very Jewish list, but you'll get the sense of it. If anyone else thinks you might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. This is Paul's sort of crunch here. This is his clenching, clinching argument. You want to boast in your flesh? All right, let's play that game. Paul's not ashamed of doing this from time to time. It's a bit like the Corinthians. You want to play the game about who can boast in the flesh? I've played it with the Philippians. Let's try it again. Circumcise the eighth day. Most of us, I think, would be saying, nope. Of the stock of Israel, nope. Of the tribe of Benjamin, nope. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, nope. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Couldn't say that. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You start to see Paul twisting this up a little bit again. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says, if anybody could have claimed to have ticked all the boxes, it would have been me. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. There's the man who's taken everything in which he might have boasted according to the flesh. And said the best of it, the brightest of it, as well as the worst and the ugliest of it. I've taken it all together. I've thrown it away. I've abandoned it. It's rubbish. It's filth. It's foulness. 
I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. You see what the Apostle's saying? If I was still holding on to that, then I couldn't receive Christ. My friends, if you're still holding on to anything but Christ, let go of it now. If you're trusting in anyone or anything else but Jesus the Nazarene, who came into this world and suffered and died in the place of sinners like us, let go. Cast away. Chuck it as far as you can. Trample upon it. Despise and disdain it. Renounce everything that you thought was worthwhile and trust in him who alone is worthy. Beware everything that is contrary to the soul-saving sufficiency of Jesus of Nazareth. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. You see why he begins like that in this chapter? For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Why do you have to keep saying this, Paul? Why do you keep saying this, Pastor Walker? Because this is safe. This is your security. This is your refuge. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. It's very natural to trust in the flesh. It is supernatural to worship God in the spirit, to rejoice in Christ Jesus and to have no confidence in the flesh. And so, my friend, if this describes you, then it is the evidence of life in your heart. And you should be baptised if you have not been and join the church of Jesus Christ. You should own that you are his as he is yours and you should walk in his ways.